Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And today I have a special guest, a very special guest that, um, you know, I, I'm glad to support. Uh, it's a lot of people that uh, are in the space of Detroit politics where it's like, I shouldn't say I'm not glad to support them, but it's, it's political support. It's like, okay, I, I'm supporting you because of this. But this person is a friend of the family. And not just because she's a friend of the family, because it's certain friends of the family where it's like, hey, I, I like hanging out with you. But as far as like any decisions being made for groups and masses, hey, you know what I'm saying? Maybe at the barbecue, but not in a political post, man. Um, so the board president, DPSCD District, Angelique. Peterson Mayberry. How you doing today? I'm doing well, Mr. Frazier. How are you? What up, dude? What Everything up, dude? Everything's cool. And we, and we running it back in this whole mix. So, yeah. so this position, you gave some of it before. Mm -hmm. Why? Why this position? Because it's it's a lot on you. Um, you know, it, it puts you in the media space. And it's not like other political positions where, you know, people are, you know, lobbyists are like falling over your feet and you're giving a lot of money. And, you know, you don't have the PJ, as they say, the private jets not given to you. You know what I'm saying? You in your all. ride, <laughs> your shoes, your clothes. You know what I'm saying? You in mixes, going across the city in these yeah. board meetings, yeah. uh, interacting with different people such as myself. I'm the president of Northwestern alumni. All Let's, the go alumni Coast. Let's go, Coach. Yes, yes. And, and parents. Teachers, yeah. students, um, other other people from other schools. Mm -hmm. What drew you into this position? So, you know, aside from my son organizing a walkout that I talked about um, and just telling me, you know, mom, you are always making decisions and going forward to advocate for the least of thee. Right. So beyond my household, my family, beyond my family, it was my young people's school. So it was their school doing several um, social justice movements, I would say there, but more so advocating for the young people. So why? I just feel like people fought for my education as a young person. I'm a product of Martin Luther King Jr. Senior High School, just celebrated our 30-year class reunion last weekend. Mm -hmm. So my voice is still a little uh, scratchy, but I um, enjoyed myself. But people fought for my education. And, you know, I feel like for those of us now, it's our time to fight for the education of those young people who are around. Um, I'm not wild and endowed by any entitlement, you know, uh, having a, my, a vehicle and special parking. And Listen, where's the work? Let's do the work. I've often been called the, the uh, servant leader because I really believe that in order to lead, you have to be able to serve. And that's the space that I continue to do. I'm a third generation UAW member. So service is what I've been brought up to do and my children the same thing. And anybody that knows me knows that my service should be my work. You know, people talk about campaigning. Let my service speak for itself. And it does. I mean, you definitely won the campaign. When I saw it, I'm like, I know she's running. I'm like, I got to get her on Detroit is different. Get a video yeah, up so we can it. get it in Facebook, share it, mm -hmm. get it out, uh, get the word out. But uh, in this position, as you're seeing, it's it's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So before we get more into that, we're going to go classic Detroit is different. Okay. Your people and your family. Um, how many generations deep were you all in Detroit City? 
Oh, man. So I can go back to my mom. So my grandmother is actually from Youngstown, Ohio. Wow. Okay. Yeah, another but my mom and dad city. graduated from Northwestern. They're cults. Another industrial city. Yeah. Youngstown. You have been to Youngstown? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a I love city. Youngstown. <laughs> I would go there every other summer, you know, then the family reunions, all that stuff. Um, my dad's side of the family is from Troy, Alabama. So, but my okay, mom. Wait, wait, talk about okay, Troy, Alabama. Okay. Where is Troy, so, Alabama? So, Troy, Alabama is not far from Birmingham, but it okay. is a very small city. As mm -hmm. a matter of fact, my maiden name is Griffin, and um, several of the Griffins were holding political positions in Troy, Alabama, mm. as well as my grandfather, Alonzo Griffin, held one in the city of Detroit. So it was like, if you went down to Troy, like, they look at your head. They'd be like, you one of them Griffins. You a Griffin. You a Griffin, right? <laughs> yes, I am. They probably uh, could tell because of my uh, my demeanor. And, yeah. of course, the Griffins are pretty loud. So Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but my parents went to Northwestern. They both graduated from Northwestern. Um, myself, I'm married to a technician. I don't hold that against them, right? Hilarious. Uh, but he went to Cass. Family members went to McKenzie. So mm. my sister and my aunt and uncle, um, you know, they went to McKenzie. Kenzie and Northwestern as well, and then my children, Cass Tech and CMA. So all DPS just, like, running through that. Yeah, uh, through and that I have family. three young people right now who I mm -hmm. co-parent with my sister mm -hmm. and, and my brother-in-law. They're at Bates Academy, so Jaguars. Okay. okay, so as this is happening, just, like, that neighborhood, like, I'm guessing you said, Mackenzie, did you grow up in that Absolutely. neighborhood? Absolutely. Joy Road, exit nine, baby. Oh, yes, man. yes. Oh, Myers and Joy Road, that's mm. where, you know, um, that helped shape me to who I am today. I went to Charles R. Drew for middle school, um, and now it's a transition school, but I just remember walking those colored halls. Every hall had a color. Mm -hmm. You know, you the green hall, you in the red hall, and um, you know, I really had a great childhood, and I think I feel like our young people should have really good childhoods. It helps build character, and it gives them substance as they materialize and grow. And so I think that, you know, yes, I caught the bus uh, at 5.55 a.m. And I tell young people, I didn't wake up like this, right? So there has been, uh, I won't say a struggle because my mom made it to where we never really felt like we were really struggling, but we did have to work for what we had. So because I lived deep west side near the Rouge area, Rouge Park area, and went to Martin Luther King, my mom said, you know, you can go. Oh, but yeah, I don't know how you're gonna get there. That's a that's that's many a connection. <laughs> as I just interviewed a D dot driver, it's oh. interesting. So it's like that's many a retired D dot driver. So okay. that's many. We appreciate our D dot drivers. That McKenzie neighborhood is like. When I think of that neighborhood, it's like I think of the go kart track. That mm -hmm. was like, oh yeah, Kingsway, all of that stuff over there, right? <laughs> the Dairy Queen. Is oh, like the only DQ is still there. Yep. And um, and yeah, that's a heck of a journey to go. All the way to uh, Martin Luther King. That's like connection. After you had to go to the downtown bus terminal. Absolutely, I got downtown get. <laughs> and get on the Lafayette bus, right? But you know what? Once I took that test in eighth grade mm -hmm. um, to get into the MSAT program, Math, Science, and Applied Technology at Martin Luther King, I could have went to the neighborhood schools, but um, I think that was really for me one of the areas of my life that taught me: if you want it, go get it, mm -hmm. and nobody's gonna give it to you. My mom had to be at work at 7 a.m. Mm. I had to be at school at 8. 
She was a single parent raising three girls. You want to go get it. You want to go to King, you're going to have to get there. What's, uh, what was your mom doing? So my mom actually was a um, high-low driver at Ford Motor Company. Oh, really? Which I came into Ford Motor Company 27 years ago. October 18th, it'll be 27 years. And um, I came in in housekeeping. And so, you know, I, that's why I think people need to understand that everybody in the ecosystem matters. You know, I'm not going to go into a school and not speak to people, right? Because everybody has a role. Uh, let the housekeepers, let the industrial engineers, the environmental engineers, whatever you want to call them. I refuse to call them janitors, mm -hmm. right? Because I think there's this stigma in people's mind about a janitor being inferior. And yeah. I know how important my job was. I knew that was a job to get my foot in the door. I knew I wouldn't stay there. But again, you want to go get it. Got paid very well cleaning. And I'm unapologetic about that. That cleaning job bought me two homes and some very nice vehicles. And it allowed my family to have a middle class income. Wow. So I did that, but that was the start of it. And then I, from there, I went to um, shipping and receiving, like my mom. Hmm. And from there, I went to an employee resource coordinator. And from there, I was an administrative clerk. And from there, diversity, equity, and inclusion officer before I went to UAW International and worked for Vice President Jimmy Settles as his community relations director. Yeah, and that puts you uh, in the mix with me as the president of Northwestern's alumni because yeah. Jimmy Settles, another cult, um, committed. He was like, all right, let's commit to working with Northwestern. Let's do Saturday mm -hmm. school. Let's, mm -hmm. uh, let's focus on this community and school initiative. And it was a run it was a run. It was a long run where mm -hmm. it's almost like every Saturday we would do our meeting, like our monthly meetings, and then it's like, oh, she's in effect. Like she's, <laughs> she's there. We, you know, like Saturday in the D. That's you what were we call there. It. Yeah, you, you were there, uh, and that commitment of um, a support outside of school, mm -hmm. helping a school operate, mm -hmm. and and now being, being in the position you're at now. Mm -hmm. How important is it for these other connections as it's, it's some limitations of what the budgeting, mm -hmm. what the capacity, it's just the resources just to deliver mm -hmm. the at base level of what a school should do. But mm -hmm. some of the extra stuff is actually what commits mm -hmm. the student to being there. It was radio TV. It was um, it was the broadcast program at 90.9 WDTR that really made yeah. me say, I really want to, you know, I'm looking forward to going in for this. Yeah, I think it's important that you raise several things. One, I miss Saturday in the D. Mm -hmm. Saturday in the D was a program that we created, and we were in several schools, high school and middle schools, and we allow young people to just come into the schoolhouse on Saturday. And this is one of the things that we are trying to do now during the school year is learning beyond the classroom. What does that look like? So reading, writing, and arithmetic, we understand that being the foundation to education, but it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. So whether it's skilled trades, whether it's performing arts, whether it is um, uh, communication, media, right? Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things that we want to expose young people to so that when they leave DPSCD, they would have at least touched and maybe a seed has been planted for them to continue their journey in that space. And so resources are necessary, whether it's partnerships, bringing their resources into the school buildings or our young people being able to go into their spaces or the money and let us put the programs on to, you know, inside the schools. And so, you know, Saturday and D was so important because what we saw was a void and we provided. We filled the void. 
Oh, it, it that was... swim that swimming pool, right? Because there were no mm-hmm. swim spaces in that area mm-hmm. in in the west side of Detroit because the Y across the street had closed down. And so what the agreement was at that time is we will invest if the community can use it, not just for the students, but if the community can use it. And I just remember when we had our ribbon cutting. I mean, that was over a four hundred thousand dollar project, mm-hmm. and it started with the pool, but then it went to the gym, and then it went to the locker room. And then it went to the auditorium and it was more so community members coming in to say, if you are going to give us a hand up, then we're good. Mm -hmm. We're going to wrap our arms around this because there were young people being taught how to do upholstery. And so young people did the auditorium at Northwestern. Those seats that you sit in were sewn by young people who were led and directed by a community leader who said, I have the skill. I will bring my sewing machines into Northwestern and young people can help me. So, you know, we bought the materials, but they learned the skill. And, and, and it was it was deep. Like, I remember, uh, rest in peace, Malcolm Lewis. Yes, um, yes. You, you guys created, like, one of the biggest chess programs. Oh like, travel gosh, travel in the, the nation. Yes. And, like, it was, it was so much going on. And you're right. Even that interaction... Which, which we, we definitely are safe about mm-hmm. it, but of, of the community and young people. It, it created a space where we saw not just Northwestern students, yes. but students from around the community Absolutely. having a place to go where it's focused and concentrated on not the traditional, I guess, classroom experience. Correct. It's almost like an a la carte, like, okay, I, let, let me do get a Absolutely. little bit of this. Let me get a little bit mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. You don't have that freedom, per se, just the way that the traditional classroom is delivered. Mm-hmm. But it only supported the traditional classroom Absolutely. as many of the other teachers would be astonished with mm-hmm. seeing the way some of those students were responding to the That's other right. stuff, and it would tighten up their game in other places. Absolutely. Um, I just I went to, um. so we had a STEM STEAM um, it was almost like an all-star day, like you would do for your athletes, but it was STEM and STEAM and math in the D. And it was amazing to see robotics and chess and debate. And, you know, it was just amazing to see young people energized about that, you know, and them understanding that they're working the largest muscle we have, the brain, right? So when, when the physical body begins to do what it does, right, whether it's injuries or whatever, and you get sidelined from a physical sport, how do you keep going? You know, what are some of those things that some of those tools that we're able to give you so you can keep going and using the critical thinking skills that you're given to see our young people. I mean, we have champions that are just amazing. And and I think people need to understand that they are champions in Detroit, in Detroit Public Schools Community District. Yeah, they may live, you know, in a neighborhood that is poverty stricken, but that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter about the resources that they receive. So you're right. Northwestern students were the only students because we were at Henry Ford. We were at East English Village. We were at um, Marcus Garvey. And so we were at Mumford. We were at McKenzie. So we replaced Cody. It's just keep coming to me now, but we were placing these programs in areas. And so what we were trying to do is get people to understand that it works if you provide it. Build it and they will come. Yeah. And so how do you do that during the school year? So really proud that we've been able to bring some of those programs. Some of them are after school programs. So there's a, a conscious effort from a student to say, I will stay after school because I want to participate in that program. Mm-hmm. My parents will support me through latchkey or picking me up late. And then others we've been able to infuse into the curriculum, whether it's through an elective or having access to it through the school day. 
Okay, and, and with that, and I'm seeing other things with DPSCD, but mm -hmm. as I had a, another uh, recent interview, Marini C. Lee, um, heck of an educator and theorist on like a lot of different things, really, especially she wrote a whole uh, <laughs> she wrote a whole dissertation about specifically like training a lot of the young younger white women teachers that are mm -hmm. going to enter mm -hmm. into black spaces of teaching because mm -hmm. that is that is just a reality. Absolutely. Um, and um, and one of the questions I have for her is it's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And I often have this talk every time I'm on I'm in a Northwestern alumni meeting mm -hmm. because beautiful, wonderful alumni, especially like up to like 19, maybe up to like 1972, wow. Northwestern was mm -hmm. maybe uh, competitive with Cass Tech. Like Absolutely. people would choose which one mm -hmm. you want to go to. Mm -hmm. You know, the 70s changed some of the culture of, uh, right. of my alma mater. Right. Um, and as the culture changed, it's like two different realities. But with it, it's a lot of, uh, and, and I'm going to say some of it's romanticizing of mm -hmm. what school was, mm -hmm. but just a disconnect between what's happening in school, what can happen in school, and a lot of people on the outside that haven't been inside of a school mm -hmm. since they graduated. Mm -hmm. So some of the critiques of this should happen and that should happen, mm -hmm. and when I was in school, this happened, mm -hmm. and why isn't that there anymore? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if the resources and the capacity are mm -hmm. there. How do you connect with a lot of the people that will be voting for you, mm -hmm. but have been so disconnected from mm -hmm. DPS, CD, like, how does that connection build yeah, with I community and a school? Yeah, I think um, so the district as a whole, we've got to do a better job with our narrative because there are a lot of things happening that people aren't aware of. Yeah. And so we've got to do a better job. We own that. But I think, you know, as community members coming into the school, I mean, you were spot on to be able to come into the school and see some of the things that are happening. You know, times are changing. And so there are some foundational things that can't change, right? But there are some things that are changing. Coding, for instance. Coding wasn't around when we were around. However, Woodshop was. You know, home ec was, <clears throat> excuse me, home ec, we've got to bring that back. Home yeah. ec is something that we've got to make sure no matter what space you go into, you should know how to iron. <laughs> you should know how to cook some basic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the challenge with us is finding somebody, finding the people, the capital to go into the schools and say, I'll teach it. And you don't have to volunteer, you know, so it's not about you volunteering. You will be compensated, but finding those people, you know, I think about, I took sewing. I took sewing, um, made me one little outfit for our fashion show, which okay. was required, right? But okay. it fell apart later on because well, I probably like, didn't uh, do that something. That was like the, the Cosby show episode <laughs> of the Theo. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Gordon Gartrell. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. Tubbs, you know, she she was very passionate about teaching it. And she made a living outside of teaching it. She did that. And so it was just another skill. And I think, you know, the more we can create skills in these young people, the better. So some of the things that they need access to right now weren't around back in the day. So if you go into the school and say, you know, why I don't see this, why I don't see this. But yeah, you're going to see some things that didn't exist back in the day. I mean, when you think about, um, you know, like a studio like this, as you're building upon that, there were some very basic elementary spaces of that back in the day. But now the technology has taken it to a whole nother level. You know, I get most of my teaching 
from, you know, young people around even my smartphone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they are so very versed in that space of, of technology and IT. And that wasn't the case back in the day. So some of the things, you know, we've had to change, <laughs> we've had to change, but I really wish that um, in every school, let me say this. Every school has an SAC, and SAC stands for Student Advisory Council. On that council, you have community members, you have labor, you have faith-based, you have a student, you have the school principal, you have a parent. Those councils now begin to see what's happening in the school, identify any gaps, and now we know where the resources need to be applied for that particular school. Because at scale, you know, the needs may be different at, a, you know, a, a Thurgood Marshall than they are at a Marcus Garvey, right? Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that the needs are different, but we need to have them identified so that we understand what needs to come in. The last thing I'll say about that is, like, you know, we're moving – the needle back a little bit with our career academy. So our career academies is in the high school level, we want to pipeline young people and introduce them to a career based on that so, school. So is this going to be similar because, yeah, the vocational centers uh, played such a heck of a role. Like I remember, you know, it'd be like, you know, you walk in school at like 8 o'clock and it'd be like maybe 150 kids just downstairs waiting to get on a bus to yes. go to uh, bright to, Hop, tech, right? to go yeah. to go lightly mm -hmm. to go over to Randolph, mm -hmm. you know, these different vocational centers were some of the places where you got some of that mixed learning. And, you know, it was certain people I know, especially when it came to uh, drafting mm -hmm. that ended up in uh, positions right after school. Wow. It was certain mechanics that basically like, well, you know, a couple more classes. And Absolutely. it's like you're a mechanic Absolutely. or a plumber. Uh, many of the uh, many of the beauticians like oh, they came right out of mm -hmm. uh, what was that? I think that. That would have been random. It's Bright Brightoff Bright has the cosmetology yeah. program yeah. now. So those do still mm -hmm. exist. And because we only have so many of those, we've got to bring that back to, into the schools. Mm -hmm. So like Northwestern, for instance, their career pathway is around, um, there's a partnership at Henry at Ford Henry Hospital, Ford, yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ben Carson, that's medicine, CMA, mm -hmm. digital media, um, Southeastern, manufacturing. So, you know, identifying that if you are an eighth grader and you are looking to go into a particular space, career, then you will go to a high school that cultivates that particular pathway so that you then can pipeline into that industry perhaps after high school. So, you know, we, we would hope that young people would at least get just a taste of what they think they may want. So moving it back to eighth grade. So eighth grade, you're starting to now be exposed to some of those things so that you can make a conscious decision for ninth grade for high school. So so now I, I definitely got to shift the conversation a little bit mm -hmm. more, more, I guess, the politics of DPS and some of what's happened. Uh, a lot of it, as as my parents, uh, Jan and Greg Frazier yes. and many others were strong, like, and to keep the vote, like, when it didn't even really have a name, mm -hmm. to keep the vote, no keep takeover vote, no movement. Take mm -hmm. um, when we think of, you know, the way that our vote was suppressed and... Um, you know, as people know, it's, it's been talked about uh, at one point in time. And you can look look at my full interview with Kwame Kenyatta. That was a, it, it's oh, a yeah. very eye opening to mm -hmm. like a lot of things that happened is uh, Kwame Kenyatta uh, on the school board at the time was like, all right, we're going to bring in some African centered education mm -hmm. and make that the basis of English learning and 
soon after that, you know, it, as he said, it's like, oh, man, Huffington Millen found out about that. Then, <laughs> then John Inglis said, hey, these kids is too stupid. We about to step in wow. and we're going to put David Annamani in there yeah. and the uh, billion dollar bond mm -hmm, proposal mm -hmm. uh, that was voted upon by Detroiters was then uh, was stolen mm -hmm. uh, from the state of, by the state of Michigan. Mm -hmm. We had an appointed emergency manager, then Several. another mm -hmm. appointed emergency mm -hmm. manager, then another appointed mm -hmm. emergency manager, then another appointed emergency Absolutely. manager. And Five. then at one point in time, then I think Governor Granholm reported, appointed Robert Bob, but mm -hmm. named it something different, but it still was an emergency That's manager. Right. Then you had like the EAA experiment. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, An experiment exactly is exactly what it was. All of this goes on while and running DPS into like a huge debt, mm -hmm. you know, similar to the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, this happens. And then it's like, all right, guess what? We're going to give y'all the right to vote back. Right. Here you go. Mm -hmm. It's your school board. You empowered. But you got to carry this debt. That's right. So it's almost like you let somebody <laughs> run your business for for for, years. for it don't matter. Yeah, for almost years. twenty. Yeah, mm -hmm. twenty years. Almost. Yeah. They give you your business back. You're in debt. You negotiate this debt. So like you're the the mix of balancing this and still functioning, honoring a debt that you never even put yourself into. Mm -hmm. This is this is a state debt, and it's been many. Uh, organizers and, and activists and advocates fighting against that being mm -hmm. honored. But still, while that's happening, someone needs to be in a position and things need to function. Absolutely. So I just want you all to know that's, that, hey, I'm eye to eye with you. I, I yes. see Elena. I see Helen Moore. I see a lot of you guys like, ah, I know that is the reality, but it still must function. Mm -hmm. It still has to happen. It mm -hmm. still must move forward. As this moves forward, a lot of people are still unaware of all this that's going on because, as you say, the narrative is just like, oh, look at those inept, uh, look at that inept black politics, you mm -hmm, know, which mm -hmm. is a story that has run with Detroit usually. Mm -hmm. But in any Detroit story, usually with black empowerment comes less and less and less and less resources mm -hmm. to deliver mm -hmm. at a standard that is so high, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then and then just the negative just comes and pops in people's minds so so much so i give that long intro of, of where we're at with it to say in this position it's very tough mm -hmm. and it's other resources still needed mm -hmm. then you put a pandemic in the mix right in what ways are in what ways do you think even the people working within the district should be aware of what happened before that led to some of the things existing because they may even be unaware. Yeah. How are people even enlightened to know the landscape of like, you're walking into something where you definitely have a lot of dedicated students, but this ain't Troy school district. Right. This ain't Birmingham school district. Mm -hmm. We've been through some stuff here because of black people. That's right. And white supremacy. That's right. As I'm concerned. Right. That, Others won't go. Yeah. And so thank you for that, because I think, you know, there are people who have walked this journey and fought for us to even be in the space that we're in. Yes. And I just remember being in Lansing, you know, helping to fight to say we want to elect a school board. They didn't give us anything. Let's just say that for sure. Right. It was a fight. And so the terminology went from emergency management to financial mm -hmm. manager. Yeah. Right. So so when we came on the board in 2017, Judge Rose was the the last financial manager before the board was um, elected. And so, you know, as we came in, one of the first priorities was, well, okay, we need a superintendent. Mm 
And so at that time, Alicia Merriweather was the interim and she was operating in that space. And so as the board was really think about it, you had people who were coming together for the first time. After the election, we started meeting aggressively. We were going through training. We were meeting, you know, MASB and going through all of this in terms of board decorum, board knowledge, that type of thing. And then in January, you know, we were smacked with, oh, we're getting ready to close a couple of schools. Yeah. And so now this space that we had come into with priorities and mission and vision, all that we were getting ready to do, now we're getting ready to close schools. There are advocates who have been fighting with us, fighting for our young people since the beginning of time, since really before my time, before your time, you mentioned your parents, Mr. and Mrs. Frazier, um, Mother Moore, that whole space. They've been fighting for a very long time. And they're still fighting. Those of them who've been fighting are still fighting because I think as long as it's public education, yeah. we're going to fight. We're mm -hmm. going to continue. They're not going to give us anything. We almost have to fight for everything that we get. And so then now our entire focus shifted to these priority schools. So you had to come up with the school improvement plan. And so we're aggressively trying to put, it was like 17 schools that they were trying to close. And so now the ship was there. And now, okay, do the superintendent. So we had these, you know, we had numerous community meetings, stakeholder meetings where people could interview the candidates who were being considered for superintendent. Um, and at the end of the day, we ended up with um, Dr. Vidi, a 7-0 vote. Um, and that's who we, we selected. That's who we still have. Um, I, I was an advocate then. Um, after I had done my research and did my homework, and I still am. We're, you know, will he be the superintendent five years from now? I don't know. I don't know if any of us will be here five years from now. But what we do know right now is the people who are in place right now have to do what they've been put in place to do. And so, you know, there's a large group of people who just don't understand the legacy. And, you know, it's almost disheartening to hear people say, you don't know what happened because, you know, you're young or, or something like that, and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. I think that there are several fights that have to happen simultaneously. Everybody can't be doing the same fight because if we're all over here, then people are making decisions for our young people over here. And so there's this space where the fight continues. At the end of the day, we're all fighting for our young people, and they have to see the fight differently. They can't see everybody fighting the same way, you know, and I think that, you know, when people think that the only way to fight is in one way, then we really lose on the bigger scale. So when you're talking about where we are now, I think there are some people who understand that as we're turning this corner, what do the conversations need to look like? Not negating the fact that we know where the foundation of the fight is, but what are these conversations now as we move towards, you know, literacy and lack of literacy and moving towards resources? You know, COVID, the blessing in disguise with COVID is that we were able to receive $1.2 billion. So when you talk about those not understanding about the legacy debt, I'm a Detroit citizen. So when I look at my tax bill and I see Detroit Public Schools on there, do I know? Yeah, I know. But do the masses know that the taxes that they're paying on their property is not going towards DPSCD? Yeah. It's going towards the legacy debt of DPS, yeah. a debt we did not create, right? Mm -hmm. So 
people don't understand that piece because I've heard, and I know they don't because people have said, well, what are y'all doing with our tax dollars? You know, why, why are the buildings looking like they are when you guys get our tax dollars? And so we have to continue to educate our people so that they understand and that they're equipped so when they go out, they know how to respond when others say those type of things. So the $1.2 billion, what we were able to do and vote collectively as a board is $700 million of that are, on, are going towards facilities. Mm. Because, you know, I think aesthetically we could say, yeah, paint, you know, let's paint it, put some flowers down. But structurally, we've had to shut down buildings the end of June several times because they were overheated, yeah. because they didn't have HVAC system with, H, with AC. And so after this plan, which is a three-year plan, we've already started working in this. You know, we had the capital campaign fund where... We were able to put, you know, just deal with things as they came up, right? Oh, a leak, a uh, roof is leaking. Okay, go fix that. But at scale, what are yeah. you going to do? Young people should understand that a roof leaking with a bucket, that is, they should not get used to that. Mm -hmm. That that should not be what they see as, oh, that's how my school is supposed to be. It isn't, and in other spaces, it's not. But there is not one school district in Michigan that has over 100 buildings, not one. Yeah. So when you mention about those suburbs, the other thing about the suburbs is that their tax dollars go towards their yeah. school district and it's unrestricted. So the tax dollars, they could use it for buildings. They could use it for teachers. Pay, they could use it for whatever they want to use it for. Our dollars are restricted in terms of what we get through our FTE. So. You know, I just want people to understand that because I think that helps as you start thinking about some of the conversations that you have or allow people to have with you so that you are really coming with factual information and not allowing them to just, you know, the okie yeah. doke. And, 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 and what you're sharing is so crystal, but I've seen it, obviously, with who my parents are. And I try to break it down. Sometimes it's frustrating because, yes. like what you said, uh, it's, it's many things to operate with, like, such a limited budget to execute the success, it's almost like you're in a, as you know, in, in slang term, you're in a trick bag already. So, <laughs> right, it's, right, it's, right. so it's it's almost like you have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but and our measuring stick is different. Carly, yeah. let's just be honest. Yeah. Our measuring stick is different. You know, um, the the makeup and the chemistry of our space is different. And so we we understand that, but we also know that others are watching. Yeah. You know, everybody wasn't happy we got one point, I mean two one point two billion for no. COVID dollars. So what were we doing that other districts weren't? We were giving hazard pay, right? Yeah. So we were actually giving incentives for people to come to work. Our students were shifted and thrown into this um, virtual learning when they didn't have devices. So we had this amazing campaign led by Reverend Dr. Wendell Anthony and DTE and Rocket, and they came together and said, what do we need to do to make sure that all of the students have a laptop? So that was a space that we operated in. And then we still had things to do with, you know, COVID mitigation, Yeah. you know, mask and, you I know, mean, temperature it, it, check, you know, that whole space smart, too. Smart boards ended up in every classroom. Every classroom had so a smart that, board, absolutely. Even that capacity. Transportation, feeding yeah. millions of people. Yeah. You know, so we we weren't sitting around waiting on things to happen. We were making things happen. But I will tell you, um, the gray that I have in my hair, I'm sure is from that. You know, that was the most difficult time because there. I do not think that there was one decision that we were, um, that we made and took lightly. Not one. And with that, like, as this thing, as everything is transitioning uh, we don't know where things stand, and 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 students are getting back in school. I just 
I just spoke to the uh, at the teachers' meeting at Northwestern. It was unique because it's like, wow, I haven't seen some oh, of these yeah. rooms. They're I got excited, to go too. We're excited. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, even the social work capacity. Mm. Where Where is the mental state, not just with the students, but the administrators and the teachers? Like, where are... Um, you know, they led a breathing exercise to start a calm classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, what what's what what resources are being given there, mm-hmm. and what support can be given from the community. So I think, um, and thank you for lifting that up because that was another thing we did with COVID dollars. This mental, um, and I call it mental well being, right? Because there's this stigma with mental health. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. need mental, right? So this mental well being space. Uh, but what people have to understand is we were all in COVID. Teachers were in COVID. Board members were in COVID. Superintendent was like, we were all in COVID. We lost people. We got sick ourselves. Our students, they lost family members. And yet people were just expected to just turn that off and just come and perform or come and work. And so um, what we realized is that, you know, there's always been this space of needing some mental support. That's not new. But it manifested itself in ways beyond our imagination during COVID. We've never, I've never been in a pandemic. And I hear people talk about, you know, Spanish flu and all. That I wasn't a, alive, that was right? You weren't ago, alive, yeah, right? That was a, so that was a group we, ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were not, we've never experienced a pandemic. So no one could really say, all you have to do is, even though that was the comment that we heard, all y'all have to do is, and I think that people didn't understand the magnitude of the decisions that we were making at that time. And so, you know, one thing that I would hope is that um, as we turn this corner, COVID dollars dry up in 2024. Yeah. So a lot of the things that we were doing, we are taking a look at what was working where we're going to have to restructure this budget to make sure that continues to happen. Yeah. You know, all of these literacy programs around um, less read and um, doing this Orton Gillingham's uh, literacy interjection, I would say, an intervention for literacy, identifying some gaps and getting young people to the scale where they need to be and beyond, growing grade levels beyond where they need to be. All of this, there's volunteer work that can happen. Volunteer work where you're saying, you know what, I don't have any kids in the district. You do. You have almost 50,000, as we all do. As people, what if, what if people said that when we were growing up? What if they said, well, I'm not an educator. You know, my kids are grown. I'm not going to to take my time and go into the schools and do something. It could be as minute as allowing a teacher to have their lunch by themselves instead of having to work and do their lunch or have their lunch with their students, right? Maybe you are doing lunchroom duty. Maybe you're doing recess duty. Maybe you're coming in and reading to kids. What are you doing? You know, I've been in schools all week. Backpacks, helping with backpacks, you know, helping parents find resources through our parent academy that they need to help them be rock star parents. Right. No, no parent wants to think that they are not being the best parent. And I refuse to believe that parents are comfortable not being a good parent. Right. But how about we take you to the next level in your parenthood? I've been a parent for 23 years and there's still something I can learn now with grown children. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like with my four year old niece who's at my house and her her 11 year old sister, and her 13 year old brother? So, you know, one thing that's disheartening is to hear people say, well, you don't have kids in the district anymore. I have almost 50,000 kids in the district. Hmm. That's deep. 
That's deep. So, so with that, as we get to a close, and man, I'm, I'm gonna have to. Oh, get you you, back. we need a part two. We need I a know, part we two. We definitely gonna okay. have to get you back because uh, there's so many more questions that I have. Yes, breaking it down. But I'm glad you um, were able to share this. What are some of the um, before we get to the classic Detroit is different questions? What are like what's something this fall? That for, for a person watching, uh, wh- whether they're a parent or not a parent, mm-hmm. um, that they could connect with. What what would you say? You said, like, different things. You said, like, hall monitor. I remember that. Clyde mm-hmm. Cleveland was a staunch Oh, hard. yes. He was a staunch Cleveland. Northwestern hall monitor. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you can't skip down that hallway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I better go up the steps, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how do you um, – what do you suggest – for that, and then even making sure that because uh, it is a process, depending mm-hmm. upon what type of uh, what type of volunteer you're going to be, absolutely need because mm-hmm. definitely we're checking people's uh, information. That's we're right. No creepy stuff going on. You know what I'm <laughs> That's saying? That's right. So, uh, w- what would you suggest for most? Like, how would that start? How if I'm in the community? How do I even engage to figure it out? Yeah, so for those who are tech savvy, they can go to the website and there's a volunteer page there. And so you can sign up and go through, like you said, there are certain tiers of volunteerism based on if you're going to be one-on-one with the student or not, right? So, and then you would get a badge with a color to let people know what type of volunteer you've been cleared to do. Uh, But sometimes it's as simple as just going to the school and talking to the principal. What, What help do you need? You know, a lot of times uh, people complicate it, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. Volunteers are in the schools often. And I ran into one the other day at um, Thurco, and she's a, she was a very active parent. And she said, you know, Miss Angelique, I was at the school so much, I work at the school now. <laughs> and so she's working at the school now, but she was that type of engaged parent. I've seen grandparents do it. Lunchroom duty is a huge gap for us right now. So people, we just need people to be on lunchroom duty to make sure, you know, that there's civility happening during lunchtime with our oh, young yeah. people. Um, and, and that's a paid position. So you don't even have to volunteer. You can apply and work and do that. Oh, might man, be favorable to work a couple hours out of the school day, right? Mm-hmm. You're only working a couple of hours, and you're only working a couple of months out of the year. So um, there's an opportunity for people to come in and do that. And then recess. You know, we do have recess, another one of those things that was taken out of the school district under emergency management, which it just baffles me to think that um, a K, I'll say a K-5 student would not need time throughout the day to exert all of this energy buildup mm-hmm. that they have. So now where does it manifest? It manifests in the classroom in the class. and they can't sit still, yeah. right? So, um, but volunteers for that. Mm-hmm. I volunteer and do recess duty. Mm-hmm. You're just making sure nobody's hurting themselves, you know, making mm-hmm. sure kids are just having good, genuine fun without, mm-hmm. you know, any uh, any challenges in that space. So, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be an educator to come in and volunteer. We just need your time. That's that's unique. We had uh, back at Halley Magnet Middle School. We had oh, Mr. Halley, yes. Like, he'd always be like, hot dog. We'd be, doing, <laughs> we'd be doing, we we needed volunteers because, you know, we'd be like opening chocolate milk, sliding them down. It was like, end up in the, end up in the principal's office for doing something stupid. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know. He look at us. He'd be like, <laughs> right? Oh, Give you the eye, right? Like, See, we need those stupid, people. Mr. Yes, Mr. Williams. I was, I was ready. It was like <laughs> this chocolate milk was ready to just 
go in Omari's face. Mr. Williams, stop me. And we know kids will be kids, right? So, you know, the innocent fun that they they think is fun, that we have to just make sure that there's some parameters around it. But, you know, lunchroom duty is is a fun time because kids are catching up with their friends and they're talking. You know, and now that we don't have the mask mandate, um, that's a barrier, too, that... For some people, and so it's optional. Let me just say that. So if you desire to wear a mask, you can still do that. But we have followed and stayed aligned with the CDC. And so the CDC, there's no more contract tracing. They aren't testing, you know, people anymore. I work at Ford, and we've removed all of that. The four questions you have to ask before you come in, those are gone. Wearing a mask, that's gone. Uh, temperature checks, all of that's gone. And I know that's a private sector, but in, there's no public sector where that level of mitigation is in place. Now, if we get into, you know, a month into the if school year change, and, they, and it changed, you follow, you follow we have the, the equipment already, right? Yeah. We follow the mm-hmm. CDC guidelines. This is not a board or superintendent decision that we made. We made collectively based on the advice from the CDC. All right. So now the classic and classic. we're bringing you back. Okay. Thank Very you. first car, year making model, what year you get it? Oh, my gosh. It was a 1991. Okay, so it was my mom's. She got a new car. She got a Probe. You know, we're four families. So she got a Probe, Mm -hmm. but she had a Escort GT before that. So she gave me that. So my last two years of high school, I had the Escort GT. It was white. Her name was White Cloud. Had the moon roof. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. Talk about the good old days. I I love that. It's a classic Detroit. You got to name your vehicle. Oh, you have to. All the time. Right now, I got Godiva in the Driveway. That's good driving. Yes. <laughs> so, so with it, and I'm pro Ford as well. Yes. Um, so with it, where was the first place you went when you got it? Um, my girlfriend's house. Okay. Yeah, because she had a car since tenth grade, mm-hmm. and so although I caught the bus ninth grade, tenth grade, she started picking me up. Okay. So when I got it, it's like, oh, we both got wheels now, baby. Oh, baby. It's yeah. going down. But it's so funny because every Aaron, before I got the car, every errand I would run for my mom. I had my license. Mm-hmm. She's like, I need milk. I'll, I'll drive to the, and yep. you know, I would go to the grocery store that was so far from the house mm-hmm. just so you can, you know, you drive you it, right? Wheel. Yeah, get that feel. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then after that, Detroit Roller Wheels. That's where we went, skating. Oh, oh man. Oh, oh yeah. So you stayed at that same oh, yeah. West Side Oh, Creek. yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay, Herman Davis would be like, why weren't you at Northland? <laughs> I know, right, right. <laughs> Northland. Detroit Roller Wheels right on school. You know, we we it was closer. It was closer. And then you ride just so, you know, let the moonroof back, let the windows down so everybody can hear the music. All right, for everybody that knows, all right, I'm just giving you guys young people. Young people, Roller Wheels was for people that was from that neighborhood because <laughs> if you were a guy, you approach a girl at Roller Wheels, you may have to uh, be ready to have some squabbles. <laughs> Northland was more community. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like everybody, know everybody at Roller Wheels. Like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, you're the DJ at the end of the Detroit Fireworks. You get to play some songs. What songs are you playing? I Frankie Beverly. Before I let go. Okay. Like, I have been going to see Frankie Beverly since I was 17. I'm 48 years old. I missed, and I've met him several times. Okay. I missed one concert. And mm. since 17, I've missed one concert. Wow. And it's only because I gave birth to my daughter the day before. Uh, well, that's, that's, well, a but I was reason. thinking I don't have stitches. Like, I probably can still go. I didn't go. And I shared that story with him, too. Wow. Amazing. I will, matter of fact, I'll be going to see him on uh, New Year's Eve, him and the Isley Brothers. So I never, I will never miss I a Frankie Brothers concert. I was thinking about going to that. It's to the point, like, 
and, and it's unique that you bring that up because Frankie Beverly, I love him for, he's one of those black, he's so popular as an artist, but he's so particularly a black artist. Oh, absolutely. And no offense to like the other yeah, artists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a big, like, you go to an Earth, Wind & Fire concert, oh, yeah. it's probably going to be maybe 50 50 possibly 30 70 you know what i'm saying but you go to a frankie beverly oh, concert no, it's us, you're baby. gonna see black folk in know? white <laughs> yes we're gonna have white on yes <laughs> it, it, it where it's like you know what i'm saying like it's like one of those phenomenons like how kenny chesney was here this this past weekend mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and black folks were like what is going on yeah, and who it's like, is that white, what's going on yeah and, and that's what happens with a frankie beverly oh, concert yeah. where white folks are like who is Frankie Beverly Isn't in that crazy? <laughs> He's been out for years, like decades, and he still sells out. Oh, I mean, to the point where, like, even as, like, with the health challenges, I like exactly. most of it, but people got so much love. We sing the songs with, for him, right? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I even said it one time. I was like, you know, with everything going on, couldn't they just put Joe in? And then <laughs> the barbershop stopped. They was like... Man, hell no. Ain't nobody trying to see Joe sing Frankie Beverly. I was like, I mean. I, I like, love I it. Pardon, I love it. me. Excuse me. Exactly. I was like, Frankie. I love it. All right. So, last one. If you could rename Woodward after one Trader, who would it be and why? Jimmy Settles. Mm, why? Straight up community. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the moment I met him, you know, I had worked for UAW for years, and from the moment I met him, I just really saw this undying, unapologetic, unyielding service that he was going to make sure that the people in the community had whatever he could provide. Well, I'm Him say and Reverend Anthony are my, those two are my... Um, my dads, you know, right. they're my dads, and I got to come up with an acronym um, for what that means, but they they have really shown me a lot, and I am who I am. A large portion of who I am today is because of them and their mentorship. That's deep. That's deep. Uh, he's definitely a cope. Uh, I can always say good good glasses get coming behind, <laughs> coming behind the, the right. second guy. <laughs> <laughs> Coming behind the set, my favorite guy with frames. I wish I could. Like, they should do something with them. Of Coleman Young, he's usually oh, Coleman, absolutely. For, but, mm -hmm. but Jimmy Settles has. It's like it's like I don't know. It's like it's like I guess David Ruffin, Coleman Young, <laughs> oh, Jimmy yeah. Settles. I don't know how they pick there, their right? frames, I know. but but it's like I need to be around these people wow. like to inherit their past absolutely. frames. <laughs> absolutely, be cool. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, you know, um, please have me back. I oh, would love to. I know you have more questions. Mm -hmm. And I really just want people to know that, um, you know, this is a we work. This is work that we must do collectively. I understand that only seven people sit on the board and this election, there's a four seats up. But it's a we work and, you know, and it's heartfelt work. And so people won't always knew all, all they won't always know all that you're doing. But just know that all that I'm doing is making sure that our young people have more fertile ground for which they can grow. We won't always be around. And so we want some of those young people to be able to call out our names because we stepped into the gap when they needed us most. Deep. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.